Hi, I'm Dr. Pat Basu, the President and CEO of Cancer Treatment Centers of America and the host of Focus on Cancer. It is my pleasure today to welcome Dr. Atul Deer. Dr. Deer has become a, a great friend and he has spent the last 30 years shaping and and forwarding cancer care in so many ways as a physician, as a scientist, as a as an executive, as a leader, and uh, really excited to get uh, to get Dr. Deer's perspectives today. So, uh, Atul, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Pat. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. You've, uh, as I mentioned, you, you've done so much in the field, and we're going to get into a lot of those aspects from, you know, again, being a, a physician, you've led some very important organizations in the, in the field of oncology. Uh, from a variety of sectors, uh, you, you know, as a scientist, as a, as a CEO. But you wear, I think, the most important perspective of all, and I think you and I would agree with that, and that is as a, um, as a, as a cancer patient. Um, and, and I think that's uh, really been something that I, I, I know has um, motivated you. Your story has inspired me, and I know it will for, for our audience. So do you mind just maybe, maybe starting with, with sharing, uh, sharing that journey? It takes me back many years. Uh, so this is almost uh, 19 years ago. And uh, I was the president of uh, one of the major cancer organizations called US Oncology, under 40 years old. And uh, we went for a general physical executive health checkup at Mayo Clinic uh, in Florida. And lo and behold, completely asymptomatic, they found a lymph node uh, that uh, didn't look that great. And as we pursued it, I, to cut a long short, long story short, ended up uh, being diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's disease, which it was later found had progressed to a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Completely asymptomatic, and that began an interesting journey from not just being a physician and an executive, but uh, actually going through the whole experience of chemotherapy and and everything that's involved in 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 getting treated for this disease. Wow. Well, you, you know, as as you and I both know, that healthcare is is one of those things that, uh, in many ways, it it. It is a bond between all of us as humanity, where we share its presence, and and when when sadly it, it leaves us, it is it is one of those things where it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or an executive or what you're doing. We we can we can really you know sense that uh, that feeling. We have a, a mutual empathy for each other. But that being said, I think cancer is in such a a league of its own. Oftentimes, because exactly like you mentioned, there's that lack of the progression for most patients where it's kind of lightning out of a blue sky, right? You know, with with certain conditions, certainly not all, but you you know, you might have your, and I'm not making, you know, these are all various serious conditions, but COPD might get worse or heart disease might get worse, but there's sort of a, you go from two to three to four where Basically, in your case, as with so many of our patients, it is one day you're sort of going along and the next day your world changes physically and, and emotionally and spiritually. And so um, thank you for, for sharing that with us. How, how, 
how are you doing now? How, how has that that journey changed changed you and changed your perspective? You know, one of the things that Pat, this experience has shaped me in 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 a very deep way is gratitude. Right, I'm doing really well, as far as I know, <laughs> and uh, no symptoms, no residual. Uh, I was one of the lucky few that benefited from uh, early diagnosis. Uh, appropriate treatment. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, uh, while you don't use that term in cancer care, I feel cured. Uh, so I'm in great health. So from a health perspective, doing really well. It almost feels like it was in my distant past. The question of how it has shaped me is an evolving journey. In some ways, it never completely recedes from your memory, even though there is not nothing that I do that is specifically related to being a cancer patient or more appropriately a cancer survivor. But I feel I have a much better appreciation, as you said, and you know that from your experience. This particular illness has, in addition to health implications, psychosocial implications that it changes you, changes you in a much deeper way than you can even appreciate. And one of the ways it influenced me was really uh, in my professional way, in professional career, uh, to have a much deeper appreciation and in some ways gave me a passion that was deeper than just a clinical and a scientific passion to, to see how I could contribute to this area in different ways that I've tried to in my professional life and hopefully also help people in their in, in a personal capacity. Yeah, but you know, I, I love what you said. And, and I love that the first thing you started off with is, is gratitude. You know, I think that's such a powerful uh, place to be. But there is that sense on one hand that there is so much outside of our control, but at the same time, you know, being being grateful for for what we have, and and particularly as it comes to health. And you also mentioned so many things that I think resonated with me. You you ended with this concept of, you know, it's not just the clinical or the scientific dimension. I sometimes you and I share a passion for teaching medical students and residents, and I I sometimes talk about the difference between learning something uh, cerebrally versus viscerally. And what and what I mean. You might have a, a second year medical student who you teach about the gene or the mutation or the pathophysiology of a cancer, but the difference between that student and the one who meets the patient with colorectal cancer or breast cancer is, is very different. That, that visceral knowledge is like a, you know, is a powerful sort of, sort of, it's wisdom in addition to, to the knowledge. And and uh, I, I think that the great privilege of, of working against this horrible disease and, and working with cancer patients is, is we, we not only get to, to advance on the science and the clinical, uh, but also on this, this visceral, very human journey that you, that you spoke of. You know, we all, it's going to sound like a cliche, but cancer is a human. I don't even like using the word disease. It's almost an existential event. <laughs> that happens. And sometimes as physicians, we forget that. Um, it, it doesn't just affect 
the patient or the individual. It affected my entire kind of geographically, internationally distributed family. And we just don't take that into consideration because it is such an existential kind of issue when you use the word, the C word, that it makes you confront life issues uh, that in the heat of uh, the clinical diagnosis and the treatment, as a patient, you don't even realize, and certainly off, as a physician, you're not, you don't fully appreciate CTCA's distinctive uh, brand is based on the appreciation of the whole person and even sometimes beyond the person, the whole family unit, as they go through this journey of, of diagnosis, treatment, and post-treatment. I think that uh, is going to become even more important as, as it evolves, as you know very well, from being what used to be a terminal disease to now something that you live with. It's, it's, it's like a chronic illness. I also want to share with you the excitement which I know we both share, the clinical excitement and the scientific excitement of how these new therapies and understanding of the biology of cancer. As you know, my PhD is in molecular biology. Cancer is, is, is kind of a shining example of how these modern discoveries of genetics, of DNA, cell multiplication, and all these incredible diagnostic tools of precision medicine and, and you know, next-gen sequencing, they are really impacting uh, the, the experience and the biology of this disease. As a survivor of stage four lymphoma, I have less, I don't take any medicines, then perhaps someone with diabetes has to do or with you know, congestive heart failure. So I'm also, in addition to the general gratitude of you know, having had the benefit of early diagnosis and ex excellent treatment, I'm really grateful to the scientific and the medical community for us to now have the privilege of thinking through a full life as a survivor the advancements in our ability to fight this disease uh, are a testament to science, a testament to medicine, a testament to the resolve in which we, we fight cancer. And so the, the targeted therapies, all of those things, and I share your optimism. I think in the, the years and in the decade ahead, we are going to see even, even more of those advancements that are going to help patients all over the world in, in multiple cancer types. And, and I know you've made it uh, a big part of, of your mission to, to both advance the, the science and, you know, going back to your, your molecular biology, you know, sort of roots, as well as the, the journey, as well as even just the accessibility of, of cancer care. And, and, and maybe let, let's start there. You, you've done so many different things in your career that have, um, again, advanced medicine and, and healthcare in so many ways. Most recently, uh, value-based care, which is a, a term that gets used a lot more nowadays, and and you know ultimately the question is always value to whom. You and I always believe that should be value to the patient, and 
and and and I like to think of value as a as a denominator. So, you know, quality, uh, service over sort of you know whatever resources need to be consumed during that. Um, but talk about value based care. Uh, you know, the 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 journey that you've led in 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 that space. Uh, what the opportunities are in value-based cancer for oncology, because I, I know a lot of people hear about it, but it's still, in some ways, it's still a, a relatively young concept. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I had the privilege of leading New Century Health uh, for uh, almost eight years uh, as a chair, as a CEO and the, and the chairman. Uh, and, and by all accounts, really feel privileged and uh, New Century Health was and continues to be a leader uh, in the delivery of value-based care or value health care in cancer specifically, but we also did that for cardiology. Uh, you know, I have to say my understanding of the, the value-based care or VBC as is often referred to has evolved as well. Uh, in candor, in the early days, value-based care was really a very polite term, often defined by the payer industry, by the insurance companies, that as you correctly said, value is quality over cost, was more focused on the denominator of cost of care than necessarily the appropriate focus required on quality as well. And it was understandable because again, because of the advance in science, we are now in a position where we have a, a range of choices in both diagnosis as well as treatment of patients, uh, but they're not cheap. They, they, they have a price tag that is staggering sometimes. Uh, we have even therapies today, as you know well, and that can be almost half a million dollars uh, for one course of treatment. Uh, particularly with CAR T therapy, et cetera. We have to not only think about the cost of care, but also look at from a patient-centric perspective, how are we enhancing the quality of care? And quality, as you know, is not just treating the disease, how well we are shrinking the tumor or reducing uh, some of the uh, side effects that some of these tumors can cause in terms of uh, just the spread of the cancer in different parts of the body. Uh, but quality also is about the kind of quality of life that the patient is experiencing because some of the toxicities of these chemotherapies can be worse than the cancer itself. And therefore, how do you think about uh, supportive care, which we now have thankfully uh, a lot more tools available as a physician than we had decades ago, how do you think about palliation? Not at the end of the cancer journey, but at the beginning of the cancer journey. And therefore, it's not about giving more therapy. Sometimes we can be very aggressive as physicians in trying to get at that cancer, that tumor, that cell, but in the process lose the perspective, how is that affecting, what are the toxicities, and how is it affecting the quality of life of that patient? And then the second aspect is particularly what value-based care has helped us. And I think America as a, as a healthcare delivery system leads the world there, is to start thinking about 
managing the overall care and cost of a population that you take responsibility for. Often you don't have that many choices in terms of what to do with an individual patient, but when we start looking at how do we care for this entire population of cancer patients, there are tools and capabilities that we can put in place and how we work with the cancer delivery system and the site of care, whether it's delivered in the emergency room or in the hospital or it is provided in a community setting and increasingly, I think, in patients' home. These now give us a more systemic view, which allow us to not only provide better care, but also in a more cost-effective way that is good for patients, good for the insurance companies, but overall, ultimately good for society, I believe. That version of value-based care, the patient-centered, quality-driven version of value-based care has a has a real future in American healthcare and certainly a place in, in oncology. You and I have talked about it in our own efforts at, at CTCA with the, a platform we called Aura to really find ways that that find the most quality, uh, you know, find the areas in cancer care that deliver real quality and, and change the patient while squeezing out the areas that, that may be wasteful or, or harmful. So um, you, you and I could talk a, a great deal about that, but at the same time, you also have had a huge experience, not just in leading value-based care, but also in the, in the biotech uh, sector uh, of advanced cancer care. What, what, tell us what you did in, in, in oncology and in biotech and, and what do you learn from that experience? Yeah, you know, Pat, it's, it's, I have to say before I respond to your question, it is such a joy to talk to you because I marvel at your career. You have an incredibly systemic view and awareness of the healthcare system with your work with the, you know, at United, and, you know, obviously as a physician yourself and now what you're doing with CTCA. Uh, and I share that with you. I think we're really lucky to have in, in, in our professional lives an experience of just one therapeutic area like cancer and look at it from a systemic view that once you start understanding it, not just from the perspective of uh, the physician, but also the patient, the insurer comp insurance, uh, and all the other supportive services that go with it. You touched on something about the antiquated system, I think you called it. And that's one thing that uh, we may not have time to go through it, but as we started looking at value-based care, you begin to see the, the gaps and, in, and, and kind of as it was the fault lines in how the reimbursement systems uh, are also uh, haven't caught up with the way cancer is treated. Cancer is now often treated in the community. And a lot of the reason why palliative care and supportive care is not often provided at the level it should be is because, and there's no reimbursement for it, for very important services like cancer rehab, for instance, uh, so there is a lot of catch up we have to play uh, and it is fun. I just enjoy our conversations because it's few people who have such a wide lens on the entire healthcare delivery system beyond just the medical and the scientific side. If, if I may, I, I just also wanted to um, just jump in there and, and uh, because I, I agree with you and you, you look at so many examples in, in oncology care where where yeah, our, our our financing mechanisms have not caught up with it, and and we already gave one example where the benefit may be five, ten, lifelong, but 
somebody, uh, an employer, an insurance company is, is having to bear all those costs in a single year. And that leads to, um, let's just use the euphemism, suboptimal decisions rather than, uh, you know, kind of doing the right thing. But, but, but you also hit the nail on the head, you know, pa- palliative care or things that make the patient feel better. Uh, so many of the, the integrated services are oftentimes not covered. So, so one of the things I think collectively we have to do in oncology in particular is, is get the, the payment system to catch up to what is really best for patients. And, and that's where the, the blend of, of medicine and, and science, but also policy and, you know, even kind of economic theory needs to come together. And it's, it's one thing I love about our conversations. It's one thing that I invite our audience to participate in is these tough grand challenges require team thinking, a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just going to be the physicians or the policymakers, but it needs to be just, just like medicine needs to be patient centric with the team around the patient. I think, I think health policy and, and healthcare delivery needs to have that same team-based approach around the patient. So thank you for that, that, uh, that comment, but it really uh, is something I feel passionate about. I think that's something, Pat, going back to your earlier question, I hadn't quite appreciated until I went through the cancer journey uh, uh, as myself, uh, or as my wife put it, that I know you like hands-on experience, but this is too much. You don't have to get cancer to really appreciate <laughs> what happens in cancer. What I began to really appreciate is it does take a village. It is such a complex illness if you truly take, which we were told and taught in medical school, if you truly take the patient-centric view, there is an incredible number of people, uh, some of them who are never appreciated on the front line, you know, the nurses, the pharmacist, uh, the social worker, and we haven't even talked about clinical trials yet, there is a number of people that as a physician, frankly, I had not appreciated. They actually have more frequent contact and affect the quality of life of a patient, uh, sometimes more than just what we would attribute to a treating physician or a surgeon. And that kind of really has uh, given me an appreciation of uh, it's a team sport. And how do we not only uh, recognize that, but how do you provide those services and make sure that these are compensated? You know, the the pressure on the physicians, because they're only paid for the actual consultation or the delivery of, you know, chemotherapy or diagnostic tests. But what about the grief counseling? What about the conversation that the patient is having with the patients, the physician is having with the patient's family, which has nothing to do with the cancer, but the kind of issues that you're talking about. There's no reimbursement for, as you know, and CTCA has really led that field uh, in providing nutritional support and nutritional counseling. They do affect not only predisposition to some cancers, but also during treatment in terms of managing some of the side effects or exercise. In addition to psychosocial sexual health conversations, there is no reimbursement for those. So I think we have a lot of work cut you know, from the policy side ahead of us as well. And, and I'm so glad that people like your physicians are taking that role in leadership for the work you're doing 
because it brings a level of integration of not just the medical perspective, but also some of these other perspectives that have to be brought if we are to really enhance the entire delivery process and system. Even cancer care being a very important microcosm of the entire healthcare system where health and wellness and prevention uh, are oftentimes not as rewarded as as things that that both you and I as physicians in, in our career you know have, have have done and to be clear it's not to diminish those things because those are critical but it's to say we also need to find ways to um, you know to incent and 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 pay for those other elements and then the, the team sport concept I think is 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 right on I, I just have to briefly share because I was speaking with my team earlier today there's a story I love. Um, you know, when, when John F. Kennedy said, uh, you know, we're going to the moon, uh, he was touring NASA, uh, NASA, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, with, uh, the NASA administrator at the time, uh, James Webb and, and a couple of other people and walking through a hallway and he, he stops, um, and, and speaks to this, you know, environmental services professional, the, the janitor and says, uh, you know what? What are you? What are you doing? And and the janitor says, "I'm helping put a man on the moon." And I am a just an ardent believer that everybody in the cancer care arena is fighting cancer, mm-hmm. is helping save lives, and and that is exactly what you said. The the nutritionist, uh, you know, that we have here, the nurse, but but also even you know the the non clinical folks who are really helping behind the scenes to ensure all of those things happen. If there's a silver lining, I think, to 2020, uh, a tool, it's that I think some of these previously unrecognized heroes, both clinicians and those who help clinicians, whether it's supplying them with with things, but but sort of the, the healthcare supply chain, I think, has, uh, has been raised at least in awareness and, and recognition. Um, you you've, you did mention another important aspect that I think sometimes gets lost behind the scenes, which is which is clinical trials. You know, without those clinical trials, many of the cutting edge therapies that that we've talked about, let alone many of those that are on the horizon, would would not not be put into the place to, to save lives in the first place. And you've been very close to the clinical trial world. I asked you earlier about kind of the biotech experience, but will you, will you just kind of share your perspective on, um, you, you know, the, the, the biotechnology um, world itself and how clinical trials in particular are shaping, shaping uh, the future of cancer care? I feel in the spirit of a team spirit, team sport, I I want to also acknowledge the role of the pharmaceutical industry, which often doesn't get the credit that uh, it deserves. Uh, so when I finished my role at U.S. Oncology, and shaped by my experience of 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 cancer, having cancer, I began to really appreciate how, while there are big gaps in how we can improve the delivery of care and access to care and reimbursement for care as we've talked about. But boy, having a good targeted chemotherapy that like rituxan, which is a monoclonal antibody that is like a missile going at the cancer specific B cells in, 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 in lymphoma and with minimum to no side effects was not lost on me. That was really, powerful display of excellent science and my deep appreciation for the scientists and the industry, pharmaceutical and the biotech industry. 
at US Oncology, one of the things that I was passionate about that led to my move to the biotech industry or the pharmaceutical uh, uh, kind of working for them was I had built and grown what is now one of the largest clinical trial organization, physician-led uh, in the country in US for doing cancer clinical trials. Uh, and that was the US Oncology Clinical Trial Organization. I was the president of that. And in fact, we were involved in some of the pivotal clinical trials for some of these therapies, including rituxan and, and, and you know, in, in, in breast cancer, for Herceptin, et cetera, and now obviously immunotherapies. And so when I completed my role uh, at US Oncology and thought, took some time to actually reflect on what mattered most to me and where I could have the most impact, uh, given my background in science, but also my experience of clinical trials, uh, I was recruited to, to lead what was then regarded as one of the most exciting biotech companies called Biopar Sciences, uh, which had recently been acquired by uh, Sanofi, uh, which is a, a multinational pharmaceutical company headquartered in, in, in France. Uh, and I had a double mission. Uh, I had a mission to be able to take what was some really exciting targeted therapies. These were PARP inhibitors, uh, which are now mainstay of uh, many cancers, including ovarian cancer. Uh, we had the best in class and at that point, the first in class in that uh, area. Uh, so my goal was to be able to uh, develop this drug, which had very promising early clinical trial results into large-scale clinical trials and obviously then commercialize it. But I had a second role also, as you know, the innovation in cancer therapies uh, has been lagging a little bit in large pharmaceutical companies. They hadn't been on the forefront of uh, developing new, these targeted therapies and was really led by these incredibly entrepreneurial, scientifically intense and rich biotech companies. So my second role was, in addition to being the CEO of BIPAR, uh, but also as a member of the Global uh, Oncology Executive Committee for Sanofi, to be able to see how we could bring some of the entrepreneurial and scientifically very focused efficient processes of a biotech in the context of large pharma, which clearly has a, a tremendous role. And so I was attracted to that. I had the privilege of working with both teams of, of this entrepreneurial team, which was based primarily out of South San Francisco, but also uh, the, the team from uh, the parent pharmaceutical, Sanofi, uh, which was in Cambridge, which is where I was based and also in Paris. Uh, it was an incredible experience, began to really appreciate what it takes to develop a drug, the challenges of clinic, running global clinical trials. I'm sure it's not lost in both of us as these vaccines. In fact, today, one of the vaccines is being reviewed for emergency authorization by FDA. Ironically, the chief medical officer of Moderna was my colleague at uh, Sanofi. As a medic He's an oncologist by training. So, so fortunate that he's doing such wonderful things. But also the Pfizer drug is a good example where it was a combination of a, of a niche biotech company that developed this mRNA vaccine and the power and the strength of Pfizer that could manufacture and distribute it in millions of doses overnight. And that's what we were trying to build in early 2000s. Uh, it's not easy. I can tell you what Pfizer has now accomplished with this vaccine 
is as much a miracle in terms of taking this incredible science and then have the heft and the resources to be able to deliver it on time, in fact, ahead of time at such scale. It also highlights the risk these companies take when they develop innovative therapies. The drug, the lead drug that we were developing did not meet the clinical endpoints in a global phase three trial, uh, which had shown survival advantage in phase two. Uh, And then we had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out why it didn't. So I've seen what you may call uh, as a, a failure, but in science, we learn as much from failures as we learn from successes. So it was an incredible experience working for Bipar and Sanofi. Well, Atul, you know, there's just so much to talk about. This has just been such a, uh, you know, a fun episode. We could, we could have gone into, uh, you know, I feel a dozen other topics and uh, maybe at some future point we should, we should do that. But for now, I just, first of all, wanted to say thank you. And, and second, any, any parting words of, uh, of advice or wisdom for, uh, you know, our, our audience, uh, anything from the direction of cancer care or your own journey, you know, things that you'd like to share? My main message and what excites me really is we're lucky, Pat, in our individual roles to be involved with an illness where we have the privilege of not only making a contribution uh, in patients' life, but also it's uh, one of those therapeutic areas in, in medicine which is going to be transformed over the next uh, decades. So there's incredible excitement on the therapies that are coming across, gratitude for the scientists and the pharmaceutical industry and the biotech industry, for the diagnostic industry in terms of precision medicine, which CTCA has taken a leadership role in, as, as, as you know well. But what I think we're both uh, aware of is for it to have the kind of potential and impact we can have on patients, on families, and fundamentally transform the experience that people go through with cancer over the next several decades is very much possible, but it's going to require the kind of integrated leadership that people like you are providing which is it's not just the science, it's not just the drug therapies, it's looking at the entire ecosystem from the delivery side, from all the, the, the different professionals beyond just the physicians, the nurses, the social workers, the nutritionists, and the pharmacists, the reimbursement challenges that we are going to face, the access issues and inequity issues we're gonna face, so I'm grateful for, for what you're doing, uh, excited for the privilege we both have of working in an industry where we can make a meaningful impact and it's going to require the kind of leadership that I know you are providing and others are. So overall, I have great excitement for this area and a great appreciation for all the people who contribute to making this uh, disease manageable, and potentially something that's not as scary as it once used to be. Well, well, thank you. Gratitude, optimism, a sense of the entire team or the village, as you said, I think is a great way to to sum it up. Uh, Thank you for for sharing your time. Thank you for all of the, the amazing things you've done. 
and will continue to do in this uh, in this journey ahead. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for this opportunity.